Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine your parent nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room. A doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt. You begin to realize that they are asking about your involvement in the accident. Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think you hurt your child intentionally. Wondery and NBC News present Do No Harm, the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbach chronicles what happens to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next. With exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded, Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright's family's fight to protect their children. Wondery, the makers of Dr. Death, Dirty John, and The Shrink Next Door, and NBC News, the team behind Dateline, The Thing About Pam, and Motive for Murder, join forces to bring you an investigative true crime show unlike any other. Do No Harm. You are about to hear a preview of Do No Harm. While you're listening, be sure to subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen to the episode one week early and ad-free. It was half past five on a Wednesday evening in Tomball, Texas. LeVar Jones pulled off the highway, put his car in park, and sent a text to his boss. Just an update. I'm waiting on law enforcement to meet me at the residence. As he would later testify, LeVar was worried about how this night might play out. I do believe that they will give me a hard time. That's why I have not initiated yet, so I'll wait and play it by ear. Two hours later, he was still waiting. The police backup he'd requested wasn't on the way, and LeVar decided to go it alone. I'm going to go ahead and attempt to initiate. 
He drove north on a tree-lined country road, passing pastures lined with white fences. Then he turned off into a newly built subdivision where all the trees were chopped down, but the streets were all named after them. Right turn on Pine Trace Drive, left on Hickory Lane, right on Black Birch. He pulled up outside a two-story brick house with big glass windows, a small square of lawn, one of many that looked almost exactly like it, the home of Melissa and Dylan Bright. He was here because he believed that these two might harm their children, that they might already have harmed their children. That's why he had to act tonight. LeVar was nervous as he stepped out of his car and walked towards the front door. Inside the house, the Brights had reason to be nervous too. That's why they planned to record everything that night. Okay, it is 7.30, September 19th, and our meeting with LeVar, we've just been told that- LeVar didn't know, couldn't have known, that he was about to walk into the toughest fight of his career, a scandal that would rock the government agency where he works and raise serious questions like, Who's really looking out for children? And is this what it takes to keep them safe? Okay, calm, calm down. No, it's my children. I can't calm down. I'm, I'm not. We, we're not going to do that. And so we can't see our children until then? So, my yeah. breastfed son? You are taking him from my breast. Melissa. You are responsible for taking my child away from my breast. That was just a preview of Do No Harm from Wondery and NBC News. To hear the entire episode, subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen early and ad-free. There were two more murders 15 miles away. The arrived, they found the telephone and electricity line here described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Some stories seem too crazy to be real. On November 11, 2013, a man was killed by a young woman, if she is to be believed, has a life stranger than fiction. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On November 12, 2013, residents of Sunbury, Pennsylvania, were shocked to see a mass of red and blue lights surrounding a residential backyard, all looking at a crumbled mass on the ground. What they found was the body of 42-year-old Troy LaFerrera, a man who, from what they could determine, had been stabbed to death the day before. Now, don't worry, this isn't about to be a cold case that takes years to solve with an open ending that will leave you unsatisfied. Because a quick look into his call history was about to lead them directly to his killers. But this is a story that turns pretty bizarre pretty quickly. The last call made on Troy's phone was to a number belonging to 19-year-old Miranda Barber. They brought her and her husband, 22-year-old Elliot Barber, in for questioning and almost immediately, police were certain that these were their killers. Initially, Miranda cried self-defense. She said that the couple met Troy through an ad on Craigslist, that Miranda, with the consent of her brand new husband, Elliot, posted ads offering her delightful conversation in exchange for money. Elliot was adamant that his wife wasn't a sex worker, just a great conversationalist. But Miranda knew exactly what these ads led to. 
Troy LaFerrera agreed to pay $100, and the pair scheduled a meetup on November 11, 2013 at the Susquehanna Valley Mall parking lot. Once the payment was made, the pair drove six miles to Sunsbury to finish their transaction. Now, this is where the stories differed. Miranda continued stating that she and Troy met up and he began forcing himself on her, that she strangled him and stabbed him to death to keep him from assaulting her further. Elliot, on the other hand, had a much more macabre story to tell. According to him, he was hiding under a blanket in the backseat of the car, waiting for a signal from his wife. When she gave it, he jumped up, wrapped a cord around Troy's neck, and held him still while Miranda stabbed him 20 times. They then dumped the body, bought some cleaning supplies to get rid of the blood in their car, and then drove to a strip club to celebrate Elliot's 22nd birthday. He said when they drove away, Troy was still alive and gasping for air. And why did they kill this stranger? This was a well-thought-out, premeditated murder that the pair had been planning for weeks as a celebration of their recent wedding. Not only that, but that Miranda had known they were going to participate in murder together from the minute they met. That the only reason it took so long was because the others who they contacted either missed their appointments or just backed out. Troy was just the first to actually show up. Eventually, Miranda dropped the act and cooperated with her husband of three weeks' story. So, who was this killer couple and how did they wind up together? Well, Miranda Barber seemed to be the root of it all. According to sources, Miranda was molested by her uncle when she was just four years old, resulting in his prison sentence of 14 years. The incident was, obviously, extremely damaging and Miranda never seemed to recover. The family moved away and tried to start over, moving to the Matanuska-Susitna borough in Alaska, where she and her sister could attend local schools in a quiet area. But it was here that the young runaway met a man known only as Forrest. The 25-year-old Satanist took in 12-year-old Miranda and from there groomed her to be his perfect follower. She became deeply involved in the dark side of Satanism and became completely enamored with this new man, even telling her mom on a visit that he owned her, showing a brand of a swastika on her neck and his name carved into her thigh as a symbol of his ownership. At 12 years old, Miranda began skipping school, became a sex worker, and a heroin addict. According to stories, she became pregnant, more than likely from this forest man, and was subjected to a brutal home abortion by the members of this satanic cult. And if all of this wasn't bad enough, according to Miranda, Forrest asked for a little bit more from his followers. When she was just 13 years old, Miranda killed a man who was indebted to the cult. He was the first in what was, quote, at least 22 people she killed between 2008 and 2013. That Troy LaFerrera, whom she killed three weeks after marrying Elliot Barber, was simply the last in a long list. That she killed and dumped body parts in Alaska and North Carolina, and with each kill, she placed a notch in the handle of her favorite knife. But don't worry, she only killed bad people like the fictitious character of Dexter. This, of course, triggered worldwide media attention and began a number of investigations from different states and the FBI. 
But while they were taking her claims seriously, no unresolved homicides can be connected to the young killer. Miranda Barber and Elliot Barber, who initially pleaded not guilty, changed their plea in order to avoid the death penalty. They were charged with second-degree murder and, on September 18, 2014, were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So, is it really possible that one person could live such a bizarre life and begin killing at the command of a satanic cult leader at just 13 years old? And if so, how did she go undetected with numbers so large at such a fast rate, all to get careless with the last victim? Or was it all an attention-seeking mission to try and prolong her time in the spotlight and escape the death penalty? If Miranda is to be believed, she confessed to her life and murders to ensure she stayed behind bars, because if released, she would absolutely kill again. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.